myself the devil. He was sitting in a bar. He bought me 15 rum and cokes and then he went too far. Now the devil is my friend. The devil is my friend. Wherever I go, the devil go. The devil is my friend. Guitar! Opportunity of ending from multiple abysses, aka podcasting from spare bedrooms across suburban and exurban Atlanta. Welcome to the Godless Heathens Podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. This is a podcast by atheists that talks about a lot of things, not just atheism. We will challenge your assumptions, and ours too. Definitely not here to preach to the atheist choir, but to critique, ridicule, and poke fun at anyone, especially ourselves. So join us as we examine the crossroads of politics and religion from the secular perspective. And remember, don't believe everything you hear on this podcast or anywhere else, for that matter, especially in a presidential briefing, until you've independently verified it for yourself. In other words, duck, duck, go that shit. So episode 65, anybody got anything for 65? Um, you used to be able to collect Social Security at 65. I don't know if that's still the case or not. Not by the time any of us reach 65. No, they're going to move that to like 75. Yeah, I saw that was the standard age of retirement for the United States, Germany, and a couple other countries. The only other thing I saw on 65 is that it is a semi-prime number, which I had no idea what a semi-prime number was. Hey, this is a good time to ask you to subscribe so we don't have to at the end of the show. Five stars. If it's not five-star worthy, tell us via Twitter, where Jimmy, the salty social media intern, will respond to you. The favorite, the secret Facebook group, or email us at godlessheathens at yahoo.com. It says drinks and bad advice, which is permanent. I think Don went first last week. I'll go first this week. I'm get drinking a beer from an equally retrograde state, uh, in this case, Alabama. I'm drinking a fudge therapy <laughs> flavored imperial stout with chocolate, cocoa, and salt. And you both need to grow up. Whoever was giggling at that. (laughs) Both of you, apparently. He said fudge. (laughs) Fudge therapy. And it is a cellar reserve, whatever that means. But uh, Trim Tab is based in Birmingham. Birmingham. Oh, they make some good stuff. Yeah. And it's only 8.4%, so I'm good for the drive home. Okay. I'm drinking. I pulled out one of my uh, special bottles from... Monday night. Heavy hitter. Oh, it's it's a heavy hitter. And it's called Situational Ethics, which is kind of appropriate for our uh, topics tonight. And this is a honey imperial stout aged in apple brandy barrels with honey and vanilla added. Comes in at 13.8 ABV, so we'll see you guys later. This is not a 12-ounce bottle. It's a biggin'. So we'll sign off for Jeff by the end of the pod. Yep. 13.8, and how many ounces is that? This bad is um, 500 milliliters. Whew. But the other thing I liked about this, this was bottled in 2019 when we could actually live and go out. Oh, yeah. And all that. So it's kind of a throwback to brighter days. I'm trying something new tonight. This was one of the bottles I got on my last wine run. And this one, I figured I'd take a flyer on it because it was one of the, it's kind of like the house wine of the farmer's market I went to. It's called 120 Reserva Especial. It's from 2017. It's from the Central Valley of Chile. 
It's hmm. called Santeria. Santa as in Claus, Rita as in Moreno. And it is a combination of three different red grapes. The nice thing about that DeKalb Farmer's Market, like I, and I've mentioned it before, is they have a great selection. All the stuff you're going to find at, at your local liquor store or grocery store, but everything's on average about $2 a bottle wow. cheaper than what you're going to pay uh, at normally. This was the cheapest one that I saw there. This was literally, it was $5 a bottle, and I picked up two bottles of it, a red blend and a Cabernet. And I figure if they're decent, they may start being my go-to. Now, have you tasted uh, this yet? In the future. I just tried it, and as far as red blends goes, it's very it's very nice. Yeah, not bad at all. Uh, uh, Chilean beer, or beer, wine is, is pretty good from what I've heard. It's 25% Cabernet Sauvignon, it's 30% Cabernet Franc, and it's 45% something I'm not even going to try to pronounce. It's a grape I've, I am not familiar with, but it's very, very good. Now, actually. is that farmer's market still open? I don't know if they're considered essential or not. Well, it's food. I've heard of other farmer's markets, you know, the small ones being open, yeah. but, you know, following, distancing, and having, you know, hand-washing well, stations. this place is but... huge, and it's indoor. Oh, and there's no, no way, possible way that you could social distance in there. I've, yeah. I've only been there a handful of times, but every time I've been there, it's packed. Well, that's a great segue so we don't lose all our non-Georgia listeners. Because <laughs> cause coming soon, we're not going to have to social distance anymore. No. The oh, va- no. The v- like day after tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Friday. Yeah. Friday and Monday. Our governor has come out and... Encourage us all to get fucked up and go bowling this weekend. Get your hair cut. Go bowling. Oh, and get your nails done. Don't forget tattoos. Tattoos, yeah. Very important. Those are Very essentials important. right there. Restaurants are going to be eligible to uh, reopen and not just for curbside. That's on Monday. The mayor of of a local town here, Marietta, has come out and said that he is going to and is encouraging everybody to join him in eating three meals a day sitting down in a restaurant in his fine city to help bring that industry back. So should we place bets on when we'll hear that he's uh, got the coronas? We don't know because there's not enough testing, but I would say if Monday he's saying go to restaurants within seven days... Well, sometimes it takes up to fourteen to show up. So, so let's let's. That's kind of what that that was my one hedge was that yeah, it takes fourteen days to show up before. So uh, is he? I assume he is not only telling everyone to do this, but he's going to lead by example and do it himself. Well, that's what he says. You know, how are we going to prove that? Unlike the lieutenant governor of Texas, who wants us to die for the economy, is not willing to do it himself. At least the, the mayor of, of Marietta is, is willing to get out there, roll up his sleeves, and eat pasta with the best of them, I guess. And he's 73 years old, so he's he's kind of up there. There's a lot of home office warriors that are telling us from their home office, den, wherever they stick the camera, particularly on Fox News, that it's time to open everything up. And I don't see any of them leading by example. They're all still holed up. Kemp, the, the fine governor of our state, uh, who's getting a lot of bad press here lately. I mean, and, and not just local. I mean, it's oh, yeah, national it's, yeah. media, 
national talk shows. Dare I say the opponent he screwed out of an election uh, last year was, and oh, I only know this because my wife informed me of it, was on The View uh-huh. today. Stacey Abrams uh, was being interviewed by Whoopi and, and all those people from home uh, talking about the fact that the governor has called to reopen certain businesses on Friday and restaurants come Monday. It's interesting to see not only what businesses he has picked to open, not mortgage banking offices or factories or manufacturing plants. It's mostly occupations that are held by the working poor, for lack of a better term. People living paycheck to paycheck, uh, the lower middle class to to the working poor. Ones that would be on uh, unemployment if they weren't forced to work. Those, those people. Which is exactly why he's opening the state back up is so that he doesn't have to pay the unemployment claims. Because if you work at a bowling alley and the governor says you need to reopen and you're smarter than the governor and you're going, fuck that, I'm not going to work uh, come Friday, you no longer get unemployment because work is available to you. Yep. And so your, your unemployment claims have just been canceled. That's been the subject of a lot of social media posts. Has it been confirmed, though? Has what been confirmed? We're going to go back to work because we can't afford to pay unemployment and we don't want to. Well, the governor hasn't stood behind a podium and said that directly into a mic. No, but unemployment is very high, not only in this state, but across the country. But unemployment claims have, we've had how many weeks in a row of record new unemployment claims? Oh, it's been two, at least three. At least two, yeah. I read where in the state of Georgia, what they were paying out on a weekly basis, and that basically within 28 weeks, the state would be broke. The the fund that they have set up aside for paying unemployment claims, they had the largest amount of money taken out of it last week that it's ever had. And they would bankrupt that system within six, seven months. Well, the other piece of this is the fact that, and I didn't realize this until I read this in an article, that our state has set things in place so that they have to amend the Constitution in order to raise taxes. And I think that was a fairly recent thing they put in. Georgia did this a few years back, and and there was another... uh, I know of at least one other state that I saw that did the same thing where basically it was written into the state constitution where they capped the state income tax at 6%. They can't raise the income tax higher than 6% in the state of Georgia unless they go back and amend the constitution. Right, Right. And if you're a Republican governor and during your term, the state income tax goes from 6% to 8% or 10%, you're out on your ass. You're never getting voted back in. You're done. Yep. So they have the funds that they have, basically. They have, they, they know what they have coming in. They know what they have going out, and they can read the writing on the wall. Like I said, they're, they're not going to come out and stand at a podium and say, hey, we're going to open up bowling alleys and, and tattoo parlors so that we don't have to pay unemployment claims. But that's got to be at least a part of it. Right, yeah. It, you're kind it, of it may trapped. not be the entire reason, but there that's definitely playing into it. Oh, I just I just found this uh, that Mariana Mayer also announced he's going to get a haircut and work out on Friday. Good for him. Yeah, gyms is another place that's opening, uh, supposed to be opening on Friday. My wife got a email from her gym today saying 
We will not open on Friday. We will not open any time in the near future. And, and until you hear further notice from us, we are closed, period, in a discussion. So they're, they're defying the governor's orders, which I don't know. Well, they're not defying them, but. They're not? In what way? He says, go ahead and open. They don't have to. Okay, so he's not forcing. Right, right. Yeah, he's not you saying yeah. you have to open. He's saying you can open if you choose to do so. And the way that it would, it would, I think, impact unemployment is they're still not going to be eligible for it because yeah. that's a company decision whether or not they open. They're not being forced to shut. Uh, so okay. yes, exactly. I, I think that the blowback. I think the intensity of it. I, I this is my guess. They may have miscalculated on that. May have? Well, yeah. You're being you're being awfully generous today, man. Uh, may have? I, no, I, I, I think that, look, he has half a brain, and there, yeah. he, he I, I don't believe that he thought that this was going to be applauded universally. So I'm sure they thought that they were going to get blowback. It's hard to know if they expected this much of it and from everywhere. But they were first. I mean, he was first yeah. in a race that didn't require it. I mean, that's why it feels like such an own goal, unless the unemployment dollars and the tax issues really did force his hand. Because they know they're not going to be able to, to raise taxes, and they wouldn't anyway. So You threw a little shade towards Alabama way during your beer intro, and um, I don't know if we have listeners in Alabama, but if we do... They're saying, uh, yeah, we're not open our bowling alleys come the day after tomorrow. So, you know. And, and that's the, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, who's with me? And he runs out and everybody kind of stands and looks at each other and says, I'm not doing that yet. Yeah. And everybody's twiddling their thumbs right. and looking down right, at their shoes. Right. We got, we, we got your back. See ya, chump. You know, Florida is going to be right there. We're with you. You know, idiot Florida is going to be right there. South Carolina, that's not a stretch. Tennessee. Yeah, who didn't see that one coming? Yeah, but they're they're going to learn from it though. And and Texas, they're going to they're going to learn from it. And there was there was no like even politically it was stupid because he set everybody up to jump them. They could have had talks. They could have said we're planning on it. We're gonna you know we're looking at this date and brought people into the conversation. But they don't want to do that. Everybody's standing around sticking their toe in the pool. Meanwhile, he's doing a cannonball off the diving board. Well, South Dakota, or South Dakota, South Carolina backed off uh, or let non, uh, some other non-essential businesses open up about the same time as Georgia, it sounds like. Could you not have done every potentially, not low-rent business, but like what you would see on the Strip in Panama City or Gatlinburg? Huh. You know, tattoo parlors? Yeah. Like, like that's essential? Like, you're going to talk about tattoo yeah, airbrush parlors? Airbrush shops? You're right. Bowling alleys? I mean, bowl, how many freaking bowling alleys are there in Georgia? <laughs> like is that such, is that really a constituency? Like this is not Detroit or Milwaukee in the 1970s. Oh, we're putting dozens of people back to work in, in the bowling industry. Right, the the bowling industry. What do you think about Atlanta, <laughs> Delta, Peaches, and bowling? Brunswick yeah, I mean zone. that that was the strange thing is you know these businesses that are first out of the gate are just 
odd. And then most of them, you're not going to be able to really accomplish the six foot thing. How are you going to get a haircut from six feet away? How are you going to do somebody's nails from six feet away? So it just makes no logical sense why those are the first out of the gate. Tattoos, they're right there. For how long? Yeah, unless you got a six-foot needle, how the hell are you going to get a tattoo from six feet away? That's just so bizarre. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And it certainly has been another self-punch in the face for the state. Yeah. For a long time, we were able to avoid all the own goals that the rest of the South pulled on themselves. The bathroom bills and all the, as Jeff would say, the you know evangelically inspired... <laughs> legislation. We've been kind of able to avoid it, even under Republican governors. But no, not anymore. Seems like we were always able to stay in the back of the room and and let the Alabamas, Mississippis, and South Carolinas take the heat. I will confess an unpopular opinion, though. Uh Uh-oh. There is a, a portion of this that feels inevitable. Eventually, we're going to need to figure out a way to live beyond quarantine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but obviously we're not doing it because there's literally no leadership about it. You can mock him for his messaging and you can mock him for lack of forethought. But at what point, four weeks, six weeks, whenever, what was the moment where everybody said, okay, now we feel comfortable enough to go out with proper precautions and restrictions? What's really going to change? Because if we're talking hospital beds and ICUs, at peak use, here is what, two weeks away? I mean, is that what they're saying? Yeah, they're saying that we still have not reached the peak of our curve here in Georgia. The fact that they're even talking about opening the states goes against the president's own, not that he's the harbinger of, of truth, deep thinking on this, yeah, and truth, is that they're supposed to have 14 straight days of declining new cases. And we are not at that point yet. That was the president's own recommendation for when states should start looking at when it's time to reopen is, has the state experienced a 14-day period of constantly declining number of new cases reported? And until you get to that point, you're not supposed to open. Yeah, I think he's basing this on hospital capacity, you know, which in a, <laughs> in a way, kind of makes sense since we're not doing the testing. So we really don't know if there is an increase, a decrease or whatever. But, you know, this is not not the way to put your toe into that water. No, it's almost like they're gambling on the fact that the number of people who have contracted the disease, it has run their course and they were asymptomatic the entire time is much, much higher than what the experts are estimating it to be. To Jerry's point, you know, it seems like most of the the medical talking heads, I don't know what you want to call them, the experts, I should say that, are all... The scientists. Yeah, yeah, the scientists are all advocating that we (laughs) have to have tests and we're not there on both um, to test for if you have uh, the virus and also testing to find out if you have the antibodies. And we are so far from resolving that. I wouldn't feel safe going to a restaurant unless I knew that all that stuff was in place, that you knew that that we're going in the right direction. But we have no clue at this point. And we're not going to. No, we're never going to know. If we had adequate testing and we we knew what the true numbers behind this would be, it, it would be it would be devastating. And and that's part of the plan is to 
keep the numbers low on purpose. I would toss this out, that actually I think if you found out how many people had antibodies, in other words, they, they had the virus, either had you know uh, symptoms that didn't require hospitalization, or they were asymptomatic, and then you ran that number against the deaths, then you would find out it probably that percentage is a lot lower than what people are looking at now, you know, just because of the testing data. So at least you'd have better information to make decisions on. The thing is, though, Jeff, back to kind of the magical thinking conversation of the last pod, what do you think is going to change to make yourself more comfortable that, air quotes, regular life or some semblance of it is going to return? Well, it's definitely not going to be a light switch like Fauci says. Yeah. It'll, it'll be more of a gradual, you know, when you start to find out more information, you find out where the pockets of the virus are, where you can contain that and let everybody else still kind of... Who's going to do that? Yeah, that's that's I've been hearing about that on the news. You need like thousands and thousands of people in each state to do that. Plus, if you even, you know, if Georgia had a thousand people doing that, where are they going to pay them from? You know, if the budget is already in a crunch and, you know, if Georgia also has to pay for the test, where's that money going to come from? Right. So probably way back when, during Corona Scare 2020, when the world was really different, like three weeks ago, there was this hope and a prayer that we're going to get out of this. It's a vaccine and it's antibody tests and widespread testing and blah, blah, blah. There's no more test. Right. There's no more access to test. The idea and execution of a vaccine has basically been rained on in multiple ways. Yeah, vaccine is a pipe dream at this point. No, it's not a pipe dream, It's but it's down the road. It's not A vaccine at 12 to 18 months is a pipe dream, though. It's a timing. That's what I'm talking about. The time frame that everybody keeps talking about. Oh, 18 months. Everybody figures in 18 months from now, everybody's going to have a vaccine and we're all going to go back to our daily lives. There's nothing... <laughs> There's there's no indication that that is anywhere close to being right, the truth. Right, and, we, and we've moved on from it. We, the fastest we've ever developed a vaccine is like four years. But we have, as a nation, we don't even talk about vaccines anymore. You know, that 12 to 18 month, the vaccine, I don't, I don't see it or hear it as much. You're right. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's like we like we realized, oh, you know what, probably that's not going to happen. It's this running list of small disappointments. Like, oh, vaccine, that sounds great. Eh, not so fast. We're going to have all kinds of testing. Nope, not going to have all kinds of testing. States that actually have tests are having a hard time because they don't have the swabs. Like they don't have, we don't have the basic material or the ability to even create the material and products needed to do widespread testing. They they would if the federal government would do that wartime act or whatever. I can't remember the name of it, but... Um, yeah, the Defense Production Act, but that... Yeah, yeah, but there's no coordination again. But That's not even a given, though. It'll take a, a car company like GM, I want to say it was like eight weeks, to completely switch their processes and, and machines and supply... Change and their the, production line, yeah. To, to make a... It's probably not a super complicated item, a respirator, but... No, but when you're making cars... Of, <laughs> you don't have a lot of experience making respirator. G, GM's been right. making cars for, you know, 100 right. years. And it's easy to say, we're going to make the swabs. How many companies that you would know of are like wood machine shops that can put out tens of thousands of six-inch wood stick with cotton on the end of it? It's not very complicated, 
when when you look at it. But if you need to make a billion of them, yeah, you know, the same with personal protective equipment. This is where the global supply chain and all this outsourcing, now it's biting us in the ass. Oh, yeah. At some point, it doesn't even become about money. It becomes protecting their own. Exactly. When there's, when there's a global pandemic and your face masks and your eye protection is being made in China or India, they're just going to stop shipping that shit, which was what they did. Because they're going to use them all. Because it's not just you know within our borders. It's everywhere. And they need it as well, too. Yeah. The government's telling these companies, yeah, you you are making this for, for an American company, but you're not shipping it to them. And, and the same thing with... Even if, if the pipe dream came through, and let's just say for the sake of argument, 18 months from now, at the end of 2021, there is a vaccine that has been discovered. Okay, there's 330 million people in America. How long is it going to take to get 330 vials of that vaccine? And is it a one injection vaccine or is this a two injection vaccine? Do we need 660 million vials of this to go around? Do we, you know, do you, are people have to come in and get an initial one and then a booster shot afterwards? You're going to need to ship it to 50 states. Just the logistics and the time required to manufacture that many doses of a vaccine. Even if we come up with a vaccine 18 months from now, it's not like everybody's going to the doctor the next day and getting it. It's You're still months and months away. Look at these stimulus checks that they're sending out. I mean, that's just cutting a check. Government is good at that. They can, they, one thing the government can do is they can cut a check. I haven't seen a check. Have either one of y'all seen a check yet? I got yet? a check. You got I a got check? A check. I haven't got mine yet. So, Jerry, did you get a check yet? No. Okay, so two out of three. So they're bat- government's batting 33 and a third percent so far in, in getting the godless seasons their, their stimulus checks. I don't think they're going to do quite that well when it comes time to getting us our vaccines. You know, that's not the worst of the graft known as the the stimulus. That was just, you know, and I didn't think we were going to we were going to segue to the failed state part of the conversation until a little later, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, unfortunately, with with all the news that's going on the last couple of days and in particular our our state, it's the 600-pound gorilla in the room. You can- Let me close out the Kemp part of the conversation. Okay. There's no metrics that are actually being followed or discussed by anybody in power to actually look at to know when it's going to be safe to resume what we used to know as normal life. Like, we know there's not going to be testing. We know there's not going to be contact tracking. We know there's not going to be antibody testing. So what's going to change between now and June other than hospital occupancy, stretching our healthcare workers to kind of the breaking point. Other than that, nothing is going to change in a, in a structural way, at least here in Georgia. It may change in other states quicker, but nothing's going to change here. So at some point, how long do you stay in the house? Like there's nothing to point at to where we say, when we reach 50% of ICU bed status, then we know it's going down so we can resume normal life. There's nothing. We're not, we are not tracking any metrics, any numbers to apply to any decision making. And this almost feels like a work conversation because particularly at tech companies, and I'm sure they talk about it elsewhere, it's like we're a metrics driven business. You know, we pay attention to the data. We want to make metrics-based decisions because, you know, the, what's unsaid 
is that it's safer and you have a better chance for success. What metrics are we tracking to actually leave the house? We're not. We're not tracking any. We're we're trying to figure out how many people in a dark room are wearing a black T-shirt. There's no way to tell. Kemp is claiming that that he's relying on Toomey for this information, so he's making this based on scientific data. That's his claim. I would like her to do, uh, you know, a news conference to, for people to kind of pick that apart, but you know, that's that's his claim. So, but it sure doesn't seem like like it's it's uh, you know based in logic, but. I'm sorry, who did you say he was basing his this on? Is it Toomey? Am I mixing that up? He's the CDC guy? No, 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 no. She's the sidekick that's been there when he's doing his news conferences. She's the medical expert. She's the Anthony Fauci. Yeah, to, I to thought it was Trump. Toomey. Maybe I'm okay. wrong. But, you know, that's, that's he's kind of pointing to her. They don't do briefings. The no, only time yeah. he issues statements, he goes out in front of the Capitol and yep. has... Four people within social, and including the sign language guy, within acceptable social distance levels. But other than that, we don't hear anything from him. And isn't that interesting? It seems like, you know, the Democrat uh, governors uh, are the ones doing those daily briefings. Have there been Republican governors? Maybe, maybe there are some, but... There's been a few. No. So if we're in this same situation in June, which I think we will be, because, you know, it's only five weeks away. What's going to change? We're waiting for something to happen that's never going to happen. So this is not a defense of Kemp at all. Yeah. But I think that's impossible at this point. It'd be, it'd be interesting if we could really find out what percentage of Georgians really agree with that. That's what I wrestle with is how long can we sustain this without destroying so many lives and so many jobs. That has to be, you know, a little part of the the conversation. Some of these businesses are probably never going to come back. You know, a lot of these small mom-and-pop, you know, restaurants and things, the mom-and-pop hotels, the mom-and-pop, you know, bed, bed and breakfast or whatever, you know, they can only go so long and then they're done forever. Right. And nothing substantive about controlling and tracking the virus is going to take place almost can say never but it's not going to happen anytime soon so yes he has been buffoonish to me how he has handled this i have a quote here from the governor that goes against what you were saying although i tend to believe you more than i do our own governor that's still a low bar He said, earlier today, I discussed Georgia's plan to reopen shuttered businesses with limited operations with Donald Trump at POTUS. I appreciate his bold leadership and insight during these difficult times and the framework provided by the White House to safely move states forward. Our next measured step is driven by data and guided by state public health officials. We will continue with this approach to protect the lives and livelihoods of all Georgians. Just like the thousands of businesses currently operating throughout Georgia, I am confident that business owners who decide to reopen will adhere to minimum basic operations, which prioritize the health and well-being of employees and customers. And yeah, how you can do that without testing. He got thrown under the bus, and by the time most people hear this, there will be five or six more batshit crazy quote briefings between now and when you hear this. An entire fleet of greyhounds will have run over him by by that point. He got thrown under the bus today. Today. Dotard said it was too early. Ah, 
Yeah. I missed today. that. Yeah, just prior to us coming on to record, local news stations had breaking news that the President of the United States has come out officially on the record against Brian Kemp's decision to open the <laughs> yeah, state of Officially on the record is doing a lot of work there. He talked about it at the briefing. That's doing all the heavy lifting in that sentence. This is from the same guy who tweeted, liberate Minnesota, liberate yeah, I was just Michigan, say, yeah. liberate Virginia. And whose White House, uh, whose White House administration helped fund a lot of these protests. Yeah. Exactly. Well, not, not the, not the White House. Some people Somebody in the cabinet. In his cabinet <laughs> has, do- have definitely donated money to that, for sure. Here it is. It's, it's WSB News TV had breaking news and this was at around 6.30 this afternoon and we were recording this on Wednesday the 22nd. President Trump says Governor Kemp's decision to reopen certain businesses on Friday is too soon. I disagree strongly with his decision. Was that during the news conference? It's too soon, Trump says. I don't, I don't, it's probably a tweet. No, it, it, was, it was, it was during tweeted. the, it was, it was during the oh. briefing. But the thing about yeah. it, this, and, and th- this is, this, this part of the conversation is not going to age well. Because by the time, it's going to be five or six days before people hear it. And it's going to, it's going to be, you know, a hundred stories in between now and then. But to me, the bottom line, and it's not a defense of Kemp, but Kemp being so public about it and putting a date on it totally made me think about, what we are waiting for because yes it feels and it probably is too soon but we are waiting for something again that's magical thinking what are we actually waiting for so yes he's a buffoon and it's too early and it's probably going to get people killed and i and i obviously i don't say that lightly and personally it made me think i'm going to lock down for the next month even tighter than I was before. Because now, it feels like the guardrails are off and it's going to be kind of every business for themselves and it's going to be harder to do the things that you kind of even got into a rhythm of doing during the quarantine. Shopping at places that social distance. You know, at Trader Joe's, they practically drown you in hand sanitizer before you walk in. And there's not very many people there. The breweries are doing drive-through beer. When they open restaurants and breweries, Jeff, are you really going to want to go back and hang around and have a flight? Even if there's 50 people there and they're, quote, properly socially distanced, do you feel comfortable? I mean, maybe you do, but I don't. No, I wouldn't. You know, the only the only time I would, you know, is is if I was sitting outside away from everybody in my own chair that I brought. <laughs> and that I sanitize. <laughs> <laughs> and what would happen anytime soon to make you feel more comfortable not to do that? Nothing that should happen is going to happen. So what's the difference other than hospital occupancy rates? Because that seems like the only thing that matters. And that what's really happening is there's this kind of inertial herd immunity that we're not going to say herd immunity, but if we got to sacrifice some single digit percentage of the population and not overwhelm hospital ERs, then that's what we're going to do because we're not doing anything that it makes me and obviously you and probably Don feel any more comfortable about going out. And if he did this in two weeks, 
I doubt anything's going to happen. Like, you don't hear there's a plan for widespread testing. No. What you hear from the administration is, let the states handle it. Federal and government. the states are saying, we need your help. Federal government to make more swabs. And they're not going to do it. And they're fighting and competing for the same resources. So it was kind of a negative wake-up call. And it feels like this has happened several times during, to me at least, during this whole quarantine, is kind of a, huh, that's not going to get any better. Huh. That's really not good. Oh, we're, you know, this isn't going to be just two weeks. It's going to be a month. Now, it's going to be six months. Now, there's really not going to be a vaccine. Now... It's not going to be any testing. No, that antibody thing, that ain't happening anytime soon. I mean, Oh, and that hydroxychloroquine or whatever, huh, that's not really working so well. <laughs> that's the failed state conversation. I don't, I don't, maybe only the true believers really thought that would actually do something. But nothing is going to change for months. So this is kind of the world that we're going to live in. And if you have the ability to choose to engage in it, then you're kind of lucky because not everybody's going to have that ability. Well, let me let me toss this out, though. I, I, as we've been talking about this, I've been thinking about this, is so we accept the risk now of going out to buy groceries. There's no way around. I mean, you know, I guess you could do, you know, the delivery service. And I know, you know, some people are doing that. It's overwhelmed, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they've gotten completely overrun. But I mean, I, I would venture a guess that all three of us have been to a store in the last couple of weeks. Yes, I went actually and did kind of my venture out into public today. To some extent, it's been I've been on lockdown and have literally left my house. I can count on one hand the number of times I've left my house in the last. Right. But my point is, is, you know, right now we are accepting the risk of going to grocery stores. Now, when this thing first started going down, there was no protection whatsoever. And, you know, I I suspect that's probably where I picked it up was when, you know, the the Kroger store was jam-packed. Nobody had masks and it was bodies everywhere. Um, you know, now they've kind of tamed that down where they limit the amount of people in there. Some stores have done the one-way lanes, and you see more people, but not everybody, wearing masks, which, again, is not the end-all, be-all, but it, it helps. But I'm saying, so right now, we're, we're accept, and we expect those people in the stores, the employees there, to do their jobs. We don't want them to, to hunker down. You know, we want them to be open. It's funny you say that. I, I went to, uh, I went to a Home Depot this morning, saw for the first time the one-way lanes. I, I haven't experienced that yet. And I actually asked somebody, uh, is, is there nobody in paint? I mean, excuse me, uh, you know, I, I, I needed something. I couldn't find it and, and needed somebody's assistance. And I thought about it after I asked and somebody went to go find somebody that could help me. I, I kind of walked around and looked and, and there wasn't anybody in electrical either. <laughs> you know, there, there wasn't anybody in plumbing. There, there, was a, there was a couple of departments that there was, I couldn't find a soul in. And, I'm, and, and to, to some extent, I thought to myself, good. You know, if you can't find it, you probably don't need it that damn bad. And, and and kind of throwing myself under the bus there, but it was a completely different experience than because it's been probably at least two weeks since I've left my house, and today was was the first time that I that I did so and, and got out. Into well, and I know you know that, that that each each time we venture out and you you know kind of get close to other 
people that you don't know and, you know, other than your family, there's a certain part of risk going on there. And, you know, even though, you know, theoretically, Katie and I should have antibodies because we can't get tested to find out, we, we maybe have like a little false sense of security, but we don't know. So we're still acting as if we could get it because... Maybe yeah, we can get it. Maybe more importantly, what we, we what we really want to know is: Are you still contagious? Well, right, right, yeah. You guys presumably had it and are past. I don't want to say completely, but the worst of it. But are you? Uh, just add that to the the list of things we don't know. Right, exactly. And and who is going to tell you that you would actually trust implicitly? Right, yeah, because I've seen, there's been videos I've seen, you know, on, on a lady that that um, had the you know that had uh, Corona, and then she was past when the CDC says it's safe to go out, you know, which is the 72 hours to no temperature. I think it's like seven days past your last uh, symptoms and all that. So she and she went two weeks beyond that and got a test. She still tested positive. Yeah, two weeks and that that after. no that no fever. That no fever is bullshit. Right. You can, oh, yeah. te- you can yeah. test people for fever, but if they're asymptomatic and can spread it, then, you know, so what if you have a fever? Right. All well, you yeah, know and- now you have a fever is you either have something else, you are actually feeling symptoms from it. Well, and that's what Kemp was talking about. He was saying, well, you know, they're going to check temperatures. Well, that's not an indication at all. I mean, I didn't have a, a temperature early on on my thing. You know, when when I was, you know, felt I was just out of energy, that's probably when I was contagious on that day. I didn't have a fever at that uh, point. The thing is, Jeff, you might still be. You might you might right. still be. But it's it's just one of the many unknowns. And, exactly. And, and, but, and my question is, is a little different. Who's going to tell you that you trust? Because the Surgeon General said you didn't need to wear a mask. And a month later said, huh, you need masks. The the CDC has been neutered and politicized. So who is going to tell you that you believe? I mean, the only person I would trust at this point would be my own doctor. They're not going to know. They're not going to know any earlier than you will. No, I know, but I'm just saying that, you know, that's that's all I could really, you know, trust at this point that's going to get, you know, like, okay, so this is a test for antibodies that we, you know, believe in, and that's the best I could do. But at best, with, with you having never been tested, along with the rest of the, you know, the majority of the population, that doctor is going to have nothing to offer you other than basically anecdotal evidence that he's, you know, what he's heard, what he's seen... And you know, and so forth. No, I'm I'm talking about you know relying on them to steer us because right now there's a lot of these antibody tests that are crap, and you know the the FDA has done a pretty terrible job to this point in letting companies uh, verify it on their own, you know, without the FDA testing yeah. themselves. So that's the scariest part right now. The the market's being flooded with all these different test from all these different right, manufacturers can, and we don't know which ones are right, accurate. Yeah. No, Don, the market the market's not gonna lie to you. The market, man, that cures Free everything. market, baby. Yeah. I mean this is a shit analogy, but a couple of years ago when, when fidget spinners just went absolutely ape shit, everybody was making fidget spinners. And some of them were of good quality and some of them were of shit quality. 
it's going to be the same thing with these tests. You're going to have companies, unscrupulous companies, that are going to rush ineffective tests to market in a really kind of like a a drug that was made for other things that all of a sudden, hey, well, you know, it couldn't hurt. You should try it. Hey, what the hell? You know, what's a what's a few people dying and people getting heart arrhythmia from it? Eh, come on, for the cause. Take one for the team. Right. So that this is the part of the Kemp announcement that yeah, it was basically the eye opener. I've been waiting slash hoping for things to improve. I, I realize that's kind of dumb <laughs> because you know when it comes to evidence, <laughs> there's not any. No. I mean, I was like, what are you basing that on? You hear news media reports where they talk about 12 to 18 months for a vaccine and widespread testing and, you know, the administration's working on this. And none of it's true. None of it's true. None of it. We're taking cues from a guy who two weeks ago admitted that he did not know that people could catch this and be asymptomatic the entire time. That was news to him all of, what, two weeks ago? It seems like it was about two weeks ago that Kemp came out maybe a month after everybody knew that you could have this disease and be walking around and being 100% contagious to people around you and be completely asymptomatic. Oh, I don't, I don't and, buy and that. And this was news to him all of, you know, 14 days no, I ago. Don't, I, don't, I don't. He said, I mean, he said that. Oh, in I speech. know. And he got taken to the woodshed by all the media and stuff for doing it. But it's like. I think that was a case of him talking off that's the not, cuff. That's though. not his audience. He didn't care. I mean, honestly, right, yep. he, he didn't care because because the people that voted for him, they're watching Fox and OAN. Right. Yeah. So it was news to them, too, then. You know, <laughs> it's not news to them because it because yeah. It's, yeah, they had no idea. You know, it, it's it's all lies. But I kind of thank Governor Kemp for allowing me to see clearer. Certainly wasn't his intent, but allowing me to see kind of the immediate future a lot more clear, taking the hope and taking past what you would expect a state government to do or what the federal government would do, basically leading, and they're not by design. So I sent the the failed state article to the Signal Group. I don't want to, like, wallow in governmental and political misery. Seriously, I don't. But, you know... Yeah, we're not high-fiving each other over here. No, but I think there is, uh, even even among atheists and skeptics and non-believers and secular people, I think there's a kind of belief that things are going to get better or that things are going to be organized or really, at some base level, something's going to change. I'm not sure it's going to. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that that we look back at history with somewhat rose-colored glasses. We see that there was an issue and somebody came up with a solution. There was polio and somebody came up with a cure for it. And there was smallpox and somebody came up with a vaccine. But we don't think about all the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that died of these diseases waiting for this to happen. Like I said, we look at it from uh, looking back. We see the game-winning goal. But we, we don't see the big comeback. Nobody wants to think that we live in a failed state. But look at how the money's been distributed for all these stimulus. I mean, look at how many companies with millionaire CEOs got tens of millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, the, the entire fund was empty by the time that a lot of small businesses were even able Drained. to get their applications in. Drained by folks that can game the system 
better. You're making people vote during a pandemic. They're fighting making voting safer in November. I mean, there there was a time when when other countries did this. Our State Department and administration would loudly chastise them. Step in. And now... It's, we would take over and oversee an election in a country that was doing something along these know, lines. What, what's it now? Ah, it's just Tuesday in Wisconsin. Make sure you got PPE so you can vote. I mean, all these things. We have a really got a really big election in November. Oh yeah. You don't say now, do you? Do you? I mean, <laughs> before you could pretty much believe and trust that. The election itself wouldn't, you know, and the setup for it wasn't going to be political. That horse left the barn so long ago. Oh, yeah. You have Trump saying that vote by mail is, uh, you know, open to fraud and all that kind of stuff. You know, the post office is about to run out of money, what, in June or July, something like that. And he has no plans to, uh, you know, give them. No, but that's but that's not true, though. Yeah. What's not true? It, What's when, not you, true? when you say that there's no plan, that is the oh, plan. Oh, that's the plan. No, no, that's I know. That's the plan. I know. That's their plan. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. But we have, you know, the, the people on the other side have no plan to fight that or any way to, to fight oh, that right and now. And that's, that, that's a good opportunity to really chastise the Democrats for caving at every fucking opportunity. Every opportunity they cave. And it has been, the last couple weeks, been very hard to watch Pelosi and Schumer get up and tout what end up being more giveaways. I mean, I, I, I want to trust Compromise. them. Compromise. I, I want to trust them, but they, they get rolled. And I don't know if it's them or some centrist moderate wing of the party, but it really upset me to see Democrats with leverage seemingly just Decide not to use it. I'm like, ah, oh, who needs that? We're good with this. I'm taking a sip of water because I don't want to get any more mad. <laughs> Unfortunately, our uh, Democratic Party has a history of rolling over and taking Well, it. the thing yeah. is, is, I mean, and that used to be called compromise. Okay. But, you know, we should have learned long ago that the Republican Party is not the least bit interested in compromise in any shape or form. The old saying was, you know, you have a good agreement when both parties walk away from the table feeling like they didn't get what they wanted. But they got something, yeah. Um, and in this situation, it seems like one party always walks away from the table getting what they wanted. And meanwhile, the other party walks away with a sore ass. So, yeah, we, we haven't learned that lesson. Well, and, and that's when the Bernie stands are correct. There's no difference between the two parties. It becomes a lot harder to defend when you actually have leverage to do things and you don't. At least it looks like they have leverage, but they don't ever, ever use it. And if you have something and never use it, eventually it goes away anyway. Oh, yeah. It's frustrating. We're still using the the official rules of engagement. Well, meanwhile, they're employing some sort of guerrilla tactics. So one one last thing on on uh, Kemp in Georgia, unless we've have we already moved past that, or no, you can finish it up. Uh, uh, okay. The other thing that was kind of under the radar that hadn't been talked about a lot is he's now allowing churches to uh, open up their services as long as they practice. So you know you can you can have as many people in there as long as they stay six feet apart and all that. Embarrassingly, I did not see that. It will be fast. Yeah, that's it what will I'm be saying. fascinating to see who decides to do it and who doesn't. Right. Yeah. And I saw an article that, you know, some of the um, mainline progressive churches are, 
not going to do that. They're still going to stream and all that. Um, oh, but so yeah, like, we'll, uh, we'll see. Andy Stanley. That'll be interesting to see what what he does on it. You know, he's got a big theater, so he's you know, also he's he, also got a hefty digital presence. Yes, yeah, he's he's been streaming since streaming was cool, but he probably still likes his fans there. Anyway, that's that's I was just going to say that's that's one of the other things that I think is he's placating his base definitely. Well, that's all they do. That's yeah. all they do, and those are the only people that matter. Well, they placate them so that the people with the big bucks are placated as well. Yeah, but they win elections too. So until they lose, and you know, obviously, never forget that uh, this was a you know stolen election here. Yeah, like absolutely, like flat out. You know, if he would have recused himself and said, "I'm not going to oversee an election I'm in," and he won, then you really wouldn't have any right to complain. Oh, no. Yeah, you know, his fingerprints are all over this thing. Yeah, but it's not unique here. I mean, this has been the Republican plan for decades, been getting into Catherine Stewart's book and the other ones I've read. Yeah, I mean, the gerrymandering and the, you know, the closing of certain poll stations or, you know, elect- or voting stations and not others and, you know, all the laws. You mean like the ones in predominantly black counties? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those? Yep. And, you know, voter ID laws and all that kind of stuff. You know, all this stuff has been in in the the works for a long time. And Right. That's all part of a failed state. That's failed state. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the Democrats do not have the network that the other side has. They just do not. Well, when you say that, when you say the network, you're talking about deep pocketed billionaires willing to spend to get these that, things done. That and then churchgoers as a controlled voting block. And that's all, they're all interconnected. Yeah, but you could argue that same controlled voting block lifted Joe Biden. And those are black churches. Mm, yeah. yeah, true. They're interconnected that same way. You're Big right. time. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, that black Democrats totally put Joe Biden over the top. Yeah, there's absolutely a reason why Joe Biden will make an appearance at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in downtown Atlanta. Before oh, yeah, and the pastor there is running for... Senate. I can't remember for Purdue or for um, Isaacson's spot, but you mean Senator Stock Exchange's spot? <laughs> <laughs> Bam! Well, Bam! Uh, you know, again, yeah. yeah, graft, insider trading, failed state. It's all about money and power. Yeah, Martha Stewart sold a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of stock and and went to jail and ended up becoming best friends with Snoop Dogg. Meanwhile, our, you know, junior senator sells, what, $3.5 million worth of stock immediately after a briefing on the coronavirus. Hmm. And, uh, and, and she's still our junior senator. Yep. Kemp appointed her. So, yeah. Well, and she didn't do it. Her broker did it. So, you know, she had no control. Whatever. You know, even when I hear it kind of ironically and sarcastically, it just makes me hate emoji. It's just kind of it's it's enraging that that that's the norm. So we we accept that. Yeah. So and and we do kind of accept it because for all the graft and all the corruption and all the discussion about failed state, we're not in the streets. Like there, right. there's no. Well, we can't now. <laughs> but some are. <laughs> some people are out in the streets. Is that the transition you're looking for there? Not necessarily because those oh. people are those. <laughs> you know, those the. 
there are, there are definitely a small percentage of morons that do this. The liberate and the ones that are def- that are funded by DeVos money. But that almost feels like more of a media fail than anything else because there's not that many. You're referring to the I don't even know what to call them at, at this point. It's the the protesters against sheltering in place. The ones that yell at nurses. The anti-quarantine. Yeah, liberate. The liberate people. The, the best term I've seen to refer to these people, flu Klux Klan. AK-47 and AR-15 toting. It, it, I, that whole thing doesn't make sense to me. This Let's strap a, a semi-automatic... And go down to the to the state capitol and and have a rally because it's my body and it's my choice. I, I'm getting so many mixed messages from from this group of, of folks. It it makes no sense whatsoever. Well, it's give me liberty or give me death. So that's that's the whole message. It makes all kinds of sense. They they have owned the news cycle for two weeks. It is given a face to quote the other side, and that's catnip. To mainstream media outlets. And it's a handful of the other side. It doesn't represent... Doesn't matter. I, I know. But it's... No, it's a, it's definitely a fringe, but still, it's... The fact that these people are saying... I mean, they're, they're using the the abortion argument, the, the liberal side of the abortion argument. It's my body, it's my choice. And and that's the hill that they're willing to die on. Literally die on at the, at this point. The whole thing is... It's just crazy. It doesn't make. I don't know. To me, it doesn't. Well, it doesn't and then there was one protester, protester that had a sign about comparing it to slavery. So you know, there you are. Right, You're not going to have those, a whole lot. Those of... Those people are morons, though. The one that killed me was the guy who had full Kevlar suit, goggles, face mask, holding a sign that said "COVID nineteen yeah. is a lie." Okay, well, if it's a fucking lie, then why are you covered to make sure that you don't catch it? You should be out there in a fucking Speedo, just oiled up, ready to go, you know? You shouldn't, you shouldn't know about it. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have seen such an overrepresentation of cranks and AstroTurf protest. We, we should not have seen that by any objective standard. We bit the bait. We don't show the neighborhood lunatic with a sign that says the end is nigh. We don't show, like, even when you went to New Orleans on a, a average weekend and went to Bourbon Street, and there was always two or three hardcore Christians preaching the hardcore gospel that everybody was going to hell. Like, anytime you get a group of people that are partying, you will get folks like that to show up and tell you why you're going to hell. But you don't see them on the news every week. You don't see those cranks on the news. You see these people, and you see them all the time. What percentage of the public do they represent? Nah, who the fuck knows? But you see them, you see them all over. They're going to cover it in Georgia on Friday. You know, how many people were there in Michigan? I don't know. But it was all day on every cable news channel and every network news and all over social media. So from a message... Yeah, Ann Arbor is going to be Atlanta come Friday. Wait wait a second now. So they're still going to go ahead with the protests here, even though Kemp is liberating Georgia? You know, Jeff, it's it's almost like they really don't have a set worldview that they're protesting. 
Huh. Yeah, they're just told and they're probably paid. Well, you can't, you know what? That that's I know. I know. I'm yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> but to me that's a media fail. That's a media and coverage well, fail. And it's a it's an us fail too for chomping on it. How many people you know have passive news? I mean, consumption? to some extent it's a it's a greasy wheel. What do you mean? You've got I mean, how many literally how many people were at the Michigan who State Capitol in Ann Arbor? Never who knows. That that got Nobody some, had a count. Some yeah, people say I mean, five hundred, some people re- say real- five thousand. Who knows? <sighs> It wasn't 5,000. I mean, giving a realistic number and even doubling it, you're talking about a minuscule portion of the community. Right, but it, it, it owned so that, the, that, new, it owned the, the news cycle with, for, you know, for those, three, four days. And that's the point I'm making is it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, but, but they don't necessarily have to. That's a choice to cover. And when they cover it, it goes into your news feed. And when they cover it, it gets shared on social media. Yep. So – a lot of people have kind of passive media consumption. You know, they have a feed from Google or they get it from Facebook. And when that stuff shows up, it automatically heightens it in importance because, you know, hey, that's that's where I get all my news. And, and, they, assume, and they assume it's true well, because it, it's, it's on their they news assume, feed. They assume it's important and relevant enough for a news station to cover. So it's, when it's on MSNBC and Fox and CNN all day... There's definitely a stamp of importance that's put on it, probably disproportionate to its actual impact. The one thing that I've kind of noticed is that, and I don't remember, and I'm assuming it was Texas because of who it was, but Alex Jones showed up at a rally, uh, talked through a megaphone for, for a few minutes, and then shook hands with a bunch of people in the crowd on his way out. That kind of got the coverage it deserved. It was kind of a look at the fucking wackos over here. I mean, honestly, though, unless you're going to come in contact with Alex Jones, and I'm sorry if you do. Yeah. But why does it get? Why does it get any attention? That's a that's a, that is a win for him. He has been banned from almost every platform he's ever been on. But man, he shows up at one of these and gets NBC and CNN and all those other all the networks. To do exactly what he wants. Put him on TV. That's his goal. Well, to some extent, the point I was going to make was that he didn't get the coverage of the no-name protesters in Michigan. The the people that showed up around the state capitol in Michigan, the Operation Gridlock, whatever the fuck they called that thing, and and the people standing on the steps with with, with their um, with their AR-15s and all that, those people got a lot more coverage. And I don't know the names of any of them, not a single one of them. But, but you Alex know what Jones they showed up, and I don't remember where it was. And he did get coverage, but he didn't get nearly the amount of coverage that the no-name folks up in Michigan did. And, and, it, and it may be skewed. And I would, I would even argue that it absolutely definitely is skewed. The coverage that I got of the Alex Jones, uh, rally was somewhat downplayed and it was, it was kind of, you know, look at the circus monkey doing his tricks kind of, kind of a, a thing other than, you know, a, a serious protest kind of, kind of the way that the Michigan uh, protesters uh, tended to get. Okay. You want, you want some numbers? I got some sure. numbers here. Hit this us is, with facts. this is from Reuters. Right. You Reuters, mean Reuters? I'm sorry. 
<laughs> and this is from yesterday. Reuters uh, is a plumbing company. Roto Reuter. That'd be Roto Reuters. Okay, so, okay, so the national poll from April 15th through the 21st says 72% of adults in the U.S. say people should shelter in place. Okay, it breaks down like this 88% of Democrats, 55% of Republicans. So, and then seven. Uh, I would have figured it less on one end and well, higher no, on the other. What do you mean? Actually, I would have figured the Democrats somewhere in the 90s and the Republicans somewhere well, below I mean, 50%. But to me, even, you know, 55%, that's still 45% say it should be lifted. That's roughly yeah, half. So yeah. I don't, but, you know, so I don't know how many people that represents in Michigan, for example, but that's a pretty big number. Not overall, but I'm saying, you know, of, of people that would vote Republican, you know, if almost half of them want those things to be lifted. So that yet they still make decisions that is contrary to that kind of polling, because in the end, and here's a precursor to the next pod, there are folks that are going to check the box no matter what, no matter right. what. Right. And by the way. They will say the same thing about us. Now, you mean there, there are people that are going to vote Republican no matter what? They are either going to vote for Republican or even if they are morally repelled by some of the things the modern Republican Party does. Instead of voting against them, they just won't vote in that election. Next week on yeah. The Godless Heathens. I can see that. <laughs> well, two weeks, actually. <laughs> True. Next time. But yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. So, who's got a recommendation? Is it, and, and it has to be a chipper one because mine is not. Uh, I'm going to withdraw from Uh-oh. doing recommendation this week. <laughs> oh come on! Yeah, well, I know you're wrong. Yeah, but this is. I, I just started reading, reading the, the Catherine Stewart book, so, and that's a downer. So I don't want to talk any more about it. Now, is this the one that you recommended yeah. on the last yeah. pod, or yeah. is this a different? Yeah, that's, book? that's okay. the one I. All right, so you're, you're good just on that. started, and uh, and yeah, it's it's kind of depressing. I, I've got a recommendation. It, it's funny. It, it seems like Jeff's recommendations tend to be books. Jerry's recommendations tend to be either a podcast or an article or something along those lines. And mine tend to be TV shows that you need to stream. And, it, and it's not a chipper subject by any, any stretch. Um, I'm, my recommendation for this week would be on Amazon Prime, the show Bosch which is based on Michael Conley's series of books about the L.A. detective Hieronymus Bosch. It's it's a series of books that I read, God, 20 years ago. And I knew they made a show of it, but I just recently had access to it and have started watching it. The sixth season of the show dropped literally like last week. And I, I have not gotten that far through it. I'm about two seasons through, and I'm... As a fan of Michael Conley's work and the whole Hieronymus Bosch series, I, I've really been enjoying it. But it's it's an L.A. detective. It's a L.A. homicide detective show. So it, it's definitely not it, it's, it's not the feel good story of the summer. To be honest, I, I may be a little bit skewed because I'm coming into it as a fan of the base material. And, it, and I'm, I'm kind of in a, in a unique situation where. I was a fan of the material. I read it years ago, but it's been so long that I I could read those books again and it would be like rereading. It would be like reading new books as opposed to rereading books. Um, I under I I remember the basic 
character traits and that kind of thing, but not necessarily the 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 storylines of, of, of each individual book and, and along those lines. But I really, really enjoyed the series, and and I, I think they do a really so it really didn't good job disappoint it. you. Uh, well acted, well written. No, absolutely not. They changed it a little bit. The original character was uh, originally an army. It was in the army during Vietnam. They have basically because I read the books like twenty years ago. They they basically fast forward everything to to modern time where he is an Iraqi Afghanistan war vet as opposed to being a, a Vietnam vet. So they changed that a little bit, made it a little bit more modern than than what the books were. But yeah, if if you haven't if you're not a fan of Michael Conley's excellent, excellent, excellent writer. Uh very very good character development and all his stuff. He wrote um some people may be familiar with the the movie Bloodwork, which was a Clint Eastwood movie, uh, was based on one of his books that he wrote. It was a standalone book, not one of the Harry Bosch books. But I've always been a fan of of the Harry Bosch series, and have really been enjoying the uh, the TV show as well too. I don't have a podcast, hmm? but if you what? have HBO, you should watch The Plot Against America. And I may have said that on a previous pod, but you should certainly watch it. You have not, and that is on my queue. I've been looking forward to, to look to watching that. I have not started it yet. It looks it is very, amazing. I'm, I'm waiting for the first there will, there season will to be, finish there, so that yeah, I can there will binge be it no over a, a weekend. Second season. That's it. At least I don't think so. Based on a book, and it's an. I'll make it real quick. It's an alternate history where we don't fight World War II and Charles Lindbergh becomes president, and it's based. Oh, on a, I've heard of this. Oh, uh, you should. You should. Uh, totally watch it. Okay. I mean, it does. Um, if you don't know what you're expecting, it could start a little slow, but it is absolutely worth right. it. It's only six episodes. It's okay. really well done. And Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize it, it was that really short. It's really well done, and it will fit the theme of this podcast to a T. Oh, wow. Yeah, it looks amazing. I've been waiting for the entire season to finish. So I, and now that I know it's six episodes, I can literally I can binge. Are they that like on a hour I mean, hour long yeah. or something? That's or? no yeah. big deal hour, whatsoever. Hour yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to add that also then. Yeah, I've Jeez. got I've got that, and I've got uh, Man on the High Castle. I think the name. Uh, of I started is, watching um, that, which is another. And I got freaked out. So alternative history, post World War II drama that uh, I'm, I'm looking into. That kind of genre has always piqued my interest. There was a series of books that I, I found out about that I was interested in reading a few years back by an author named Harry Turtledove that wrote, like I said, he wrote a series of alternative history books that basically started at World War, I'm sorry, let me back up. It started at the Civil War. The premise was the Confederacy won the Civil War. And then where do we go forward from there? So now you have a United States of America and a Confederate States of America. And during World War II, the Confederate States of America was part of the Axis Alliance, along with Germany and Italy and Japan, while the United States of America was along with with the French and, and the Europeans. And the whole subject matter just absolutely you know, enthralled me. I thought that this was something that I would really be interested in. And I did a little research on it. And I found what the first book was in the entire series. And I found it in a bookstore and I read the back of it and explained that the fact that the reason why the Confederacy won the Civil War was because UFOs landed and gave them submachine guns. And I was like, 
put it back on the shelf and walk the fuck away. So at, at that point, I, I kind of left it sitting there. But those kind of alternative history, what would have happened if this would have happened kind of scenarios have always interested me. So, yeah, the, the Man in the High Castle and the, I'm sorry, what was the name of the HBO one again? Plot Against America. The, um, the Plot Against America. Yes, absolutely. Both both of those I've, I've got on my queue. I have not yet started them, but uh, but look forward to both so of them. So if you listened at the beginning of the show, you know our email, you know our Twitter, you know our Facebook you can search for us on Patreon. You still can leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Look at that. Quick. Everyone knows. <laughs> and Jeff doesn't have anyone to invite, although we might have a I guest have next n- week. Yeah, well, yeah, we, we almost had one, but we need some technical uh, uh, additions to his hardware. So I trust he is working on that. Will join us for a lively conversation on things that we fundamentally disagree about. But we'll be we'll be polite about and it. And obviously we're talking about our one Christian listener, Tom. We we talked uh, back and forth this week, but unfortunately over a, a 48-hour period we were unable to get the he may, technical he, he may not, worked out. So we're working on getting Tom back on the show with us. He may not be our only Christian us. listener. And we don't want to brand him. He is... He's the he only is, one I know is, of. I'll, I'll listener, go that far. I'm, I'm sure we have good some. standing that we just happen to disagree on some fundamental things, which should make for some good potting next time. But we do agree on on beer. He likes good craft beer, so we do yeah, have absolutely. some areas of agreement. So. Yes, but will he go to will he go I, to I, yeah, breweries? I, I don't agree with Tom on a lot of issues, but I I absolutely but will love he Tom go to person. breweries um, and, and look forward to on, having him back on. Wait, Kemp's would he rec- go to breweries um, on, on Kemp's recommendation? Asked? We will find ah. out. We will find out. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> see you next time. Right. Well, we'll see y'all in two weeks. All right, stay All right, safe. Take care, everybody. And stay safe. Stay inside.